Welcome back. Okay, I know it has been a long time, and I know I said I was going to try to keep up with the podcast, but just having an even busier year this year than last cycle, so apologize for the delay in the podcast. Anyway, I felt it appropriate given we're about a month away from the 2023-24 CASPA cycle opening, so it seemed fitting to go ahead and do an update to last year's podcast about personal statements. It hasn't changed a whole lot, but I thought this year maybe added somewhat of a little bit of humor to this. So I'm doing this in the fashion of a famous comedian. His name is George Carlin. I realize this is going to be something most of you probably do not know, and you're going to have to look him up. Back in the 70s, he did a really famous show. It was called The Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television. So for our podcast, we're going to do the seven words or phrases you should never say in your personal statement. Again, for those who are interested, look up George Carlin. It'll be all over YouTube. And back in my day, it was pretty funny. Maybe these days, maybe it's not. Let's talk about the seven words or phrases you should never say in your personal statement. And yes, this is going to be similar to what we put out last year, but it just simply is what's important. The seven words or phrases you should never have or say or put in your personal statement are Team, collaborate. Switching specialties, PAs spend more time with their patients, the work-life balance of being a PA, working with the underserved, and solidified. So let me go ahead and go back through some of these a little bit. I'm sure for a lot of you, some of these words probably are already in the statement that you're drafting or this is what you thought you were going to put into yours. Uh, There are reasons why we We don't recommend it. First and foremost, simply because your statement's going to sound just like everybody else's. You know, if you're reading information online, and usually most applicants do, they'll review personal statements written by other candidates who are successful getting in and use this as their guide. And then, of course, there's a lot of information. There are even books about how to write personal statements. Uh, We don't write any books simply just because every year it's a little bit different in terms of what schools are looking for. Not to mention if you're reading a book on how to write a personal statement, somebody else is probably reading that same book and invariably yours is going to sound a lot like someone else's. Now, in every year, it's always a problem. We see a large, large percentage of statements sound very similar containing some of the same words or and or phrases. I will tell you for this year, for the new cycle for 2023-24 cycle that's starting here next month in April, something that we're all kind of looking for, I say we, you know, at a board are ones that are going to sound very similar. Specifically, we're thinking of AI chatbot. So for those of you who've probably heard of this already, know all about AI chatbot, the artificial intelligence program that will write documents. You know, if you type in write this type of letter or write a resume. I've heard that the AI chatbot can even pass the uh, test for the bar and uh, medical boards. If we're reading statements that sound very much alike, the assumption is that you're using some kind of artificial intelligence, AI, whether it's chatbot or I guess the most famous is the AI chat GPT, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, Google's chatbot is barred. And I believe the one for Microsoft is Bing. If your statement sounds a lot like the last three or four that have been read, again, it's going to be one of the assumptions is that you've used some kind of artificial intelligence. You, know, you want to be very, very careful 
Always, always, but particularly in this cycle, because this is really new. We haven't thought about this, or actually you said, say, we haven't really addressed this in previous cycles, but for this upcoming cycle, it is going to be something that's looked at. So if we think it was produced using artificial intelligence, obviously that, that application is probably going to get put to the side, if not just outright rejected. Clearly, you want to be original. You want to use your own thoughts. I mean, certainly there are things that you could read or you've heard or talked to other people that will help you to formulate your personal statement, but if you're just simply copying certain words and or phrases. So that's why we come up with this uh, seven words and or phrases that should never be in your personal statement. Let's go ahead and start off with team. I know it sounds ridiculous. Why, why shouldn't I be able to use team? Team sounds normal. This is a word that is grossly overused, if I could just say that. People like to say how I want to become a PA to work in a team or I work best in a team. I am a team player. I like being a team member. And it just goes on and on. I actually saw in some, uh, one of the statements I read, I saw the word team or teamwork six times in one paragraph. A little overkill and get the point. Saying that you know you work as part of a team is not why you should become a PA. So actually, I'm going to let uh, someone that we work with before, Kristen, she's a PA that graduated from Drexel. And just let me play this real quick soundbite. She's going to talk about why you should never use the word team. So this is what pretty much everybody wants to know are what tips do you have for those who are currently going through the application process or going to start applying next cycle? Definitely do some soul searching and figure out why you want to do this. Um, one of the things that I hear a lot is, I want to be a PA because I want to work in a team, and PAs do a lot of teamwork. <laughs> Everybody on the team does teamwork. The MD, the DO, the NP, the PA, the nurse, you're all a team. That doesn't set you apart. That's not why you want to become a PA. So I think you really need to know individually why you yourself want to become a PA, not some answer that you think the school wants to hear as to why you want to become a PA. Okay, enough said. I think, you know, what, what Kristen had to say, by the way, if you couldn't tell... When she did this, we didn't expect her to say this. We actually didn't ask her. She just said this because it is something we see most commonly. But I'm laughing hysterically. You could probably hear me in the background, but I can barely control the laughter. It was really funny because she just she started off with that when we asked her what things shouldn't be said. The other word we we recommend is, or I should say recommend to keep out, is collaborate. Now, this is in a lot of mission statements, you know, PA programs talk about how we're going to train our students to work in a collaborative environment or, you know, PAs work in collaboration. And it's not that it's inappropriate or poor grammar or anything like that. It's just simply, if you're saying it, so are thousands of other applicants. And everybody thinks because they've read it in a uh, mission statement for a program that they need to use that. Maybe I'm using an example I used last year, I don't remember or not, but just to give you an example of how we talk, I mean, I work in neurosurgery and we do a lot of trauma. So there are a lot of other providers, doctors that we work with on one particular patient. We'll see the patient for neurosurgery, but orthopedics might be involved, certainly the trauma team, maybe the hospitalist or intensivist. There's the pulmonologist. So there's a lot of other doctors involved on any particular patient that's a trauma patient. We're all talking to each other to manage that patient's care. And routinely, my doctor might ask me, if, you know, if I have coordinated with the other doctors. And typically, my doctor would just say something like, the lady in 603, have you talked to trauma about her today? 
But in all the years I've been practicing, I've never had my doctor say to me, the lady in 603, did you collaborate with trauma on her today? We don't speak this way. So just avoid using that word collaborate simply again, because it's going to be a word that so many applicants will use. This again is probably one of the number one things that is going to appear in a statement is people talking about wanting to become a PA because of switching specialties, lateral mobility, versatility. The short answer to can PAs switch specialties? Yes, of course. The problem is it's not as easy as you might think. I, I read this routinely about how doctors have to do a residency, but I want to be a PA so I'm not locked into a specialty and I can switch if I get bored or want to experience a different you know, field within medicine. And while this all sounds good, but the reality is it's not as easy as you think. Now, you, you may be working in pediatrics one day and literally the next day start uh, working in cardiology. And you can do that as a PA. The problem is you don't know anything about cardiology. And just because you switch specialties doesn't mean you're going to absorb this material any faster. Remember the doctor that you're working for, your supervising physician went through years and years of residency to gain the knowledge to be able to manage patients in cardiology. But if you switch specialties, again, just because we don't do a formal residency doesn't mean that you're not going to need a lot of training. It might have taken the doctor four, five, maybe even six years. In neurosurgery, it's a nine-year residency. You're not, your role as a PA is to manage the patient's care in the same capacity as the physician. So it's going to take you a long time when you change specialties. So there are other reasons. Uh, we've addressed this before in other podcasts you can always listen to, but don't talk about switching specialties. That's not a reason to become a PA. Frequently, hear, we hear candidates talk about how PAs spend more time with patients. It's never been true. Um, you may have experienced this. Maybe in your shadowing or working, you may have come across a PA who did or seemingly spent more time with their patient than, say, the doctor does. But this is really a gross misrepresentation of the PA because most would know that a PA sees the same number of patients the doctor does. So if I'm in primary care or urology or internal medicine, whichever the profession or specialty I'm in, if the doctor's seeing 30 patients, so am I. So mathematically, I don't know how a PA could spend more time with a patient. And for those of you who've said, well, I've seen it, or you're going to leave me a message or send me a note, you know, well, the PA I work with, or the, when I shadowed, this is what I saw. Okay, well, that was one out of, a million, well, not a million, but it doesn't represent most PAs. So simply the board or admissions board or even an interview, if they get to that point in your statement, they're probably just going to think you don't really have enough experience because if that's your impression of a PA that they spend more time with their patients, then you need to try again. Maybe you should apply the next year when you've had more experience shadowing other PAs to realize that if that was your experience, it's not representative of PAs as a whole or in the majority. So leave that out. All right, everybody wants to talk about work-life balance. You know, I like being a PA because of the work-life balance. And even one of my more favorites is when I see work-life balance and how I want to have a family or have children. I, I never personally understand this because I actually come from a family of doctors. And so clearly they were doctors and had family. Every doctor I have ever worked with, with the exception of one, Every doctor I've ever worked with or probably even known, everyone has 
family. So I'm not sure this work-life balance, how it's supposed to be better for a PA, and again, so that they can have a family. But if you're talking just strictly this work-life balance, similar to PA spending more time with a patient, it's just going to come across as though you really don't know or your, your exposure to PAs is very limited. I already mentioned that you know I'm going to see the same number of patients as the doctor does. And just because I'm a PA doesn't mean when the clock strikes five that, okay, I'm out the door. You know, I, I'm, I've got a work-life balance I have to maintain, so I can't stay later after hours. Granted, I work in trauma, but in my role, it's the same hours. The doctor has a patient needs surgery in the middle of the night. He'll call me at 3 a.m. and literally just tell me to be at the hospital in 30 minutes. The doctor doesn't say, oh, I can't call him because he has that work-life balance. I work on weekends, and when I was Working full-time with this one doctor, we actually alternate a weekend. So he would cover the hospital one weekend. I'd cover the hospital the next weekend. I'm not sure whenever people write this, you know, being a PA, I'll be able to maintain that work-life balance. Uh, doctors that I know seem to have pretty decent balance in their lives too, by the way. And let's not talk about things how doctors are overburdened with management of their practice because this is something that's becoming almost like a dinosaur. I mean, most doctors work for a group or a practice. They have people that do the billing, that do the hiring, firing, manage the personnel that work in the office. So there really isn't much more the doctor is doing administratively. In fact, in all the practices I've ever worked with, the doctor typically just dumped all the paperwork that needed to be done on my desk. So you know, it's not as if a PA does not have to do paperwork. So saying again, PAs have this work-life balance is one of those phrases that would just come across as though you really have very limited experience with a PA and schools are likely to pass on candidates like that until maybe you've had more experience and realize that this work-life balance is just something that maybe you read it online or it just sounds good, but it's not going to help. Working with the underserved, and this can also include bridging gaps in healthcare. And in the last cycle, we saw so much of, you know, I'm going to provide access to the disenfranchised or the people who lack access to healthcare. Just remember, as a PA, you work with a supervising physician. Knowing that, if you're going to work with a doctor, so that already means that healthcare is available in that area. So it's not as if there was lack of access. You're working with a doctor, there must be some what access. Can patients get seen sooner because there's a PA working at a practice? Technically, I guess uh, it's no different though than if the doctor were hired another doctor. In terms of patient being seen sooner, uh, the reality is it's just going to be more patients being seen in that practice. I, I don't... When I've worked, it wasn't as if the wait time went down because I joined. It wasn't as if before I was there, it took six to eight weeks to get in to see the doctor. And with me as a PA working the practice now, it's only about one week or 10 days. It was basically the same wait time because there are just still so many people who need to be seen. As far as getting access to people who typically don't have access to care or maybe not able to access. Again, you're going to find out when you go to a practice. Uh, and for those of you who work in a practice, I always just kind of throw this out there. I mean, how many patients do you see come through your practice that have no insurance? It's not as if becoming a PA all of a sudden opens this door and all these people who have no insurance or limited insurance are going to be able to be seen just because you're the PA and you provide greater access or bridging gaps in healthcare. So again, the only gap that's going to be bridged in healthcare is if there is doctor working there and with you working, it'll 
somewhat increase the uh, number of patients that can be seen. But again, the number of patients is always going to grow. Look, lack of access to healthcare is nothing new. Uh, my father was a doctor, went through medical school in the late 20s, early 30s. Uh, and I'm talking, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm talking the 1920s, 1930s, and practiced, uh, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And initially, he was a small town doctor. And when I say small town, I mean small. Like, if he wasn't at his office, they just would come to the house, knock on the door. Hey, Dr. Kimber, you know, we didn't, couldn't find you at your office. So it's nothing new in terms of lack of access. Certainly, PAs, part of the reason PAs were created, if you want to say that, uh, was to provide greater access. But unfortunately, PAs are still tied to a supervising physician. So it's not as if you can just go out, practice wherever you want to. The work with the underserved, by the way, this ends up being so cliche that it is almost always in the last paragraph of every statement. Uh, and it usually even ends up being about the fourth or fifth sentence in. It sort of comes off, it, it basically comes off as like a check, you know, check in the box. You know, we, we come to that part in the statement and then there's a statement, oh, and I want to work with the underserved. I want to work with the disenfranchised. I want to give back. I want to provide greater access. It's like everybody's got to squeeze that line in because you've been told or you've read that this is something that must be in your statement. But they've done studies to show that PAs that are, I should say, there are only about 9% of PAs who truly work in very rural underserved areas. So while everybody says it, it doesn't actually happen. So I'd just be very cautious about this if you're going to say this because it's not going to come across as very genuine. Specifically since we know statistically speaking, it's not true, yet everybody says it. I always mention too, I, I used to work in San Diego, California. It's the eighth largest city in the United States. I was on medical staff at about six hospitals, throughout the San Diego area, big city. But yet, despite that, we, about 65% of the patient population that we took care of were underserved. We didn't look for them. They just come in because they are the ones that need help most of the time. Anyway, so if you, if you want to work with underserved, I, I promise you, you're going to. I mean, regardless of where you're going to work or what specialty you go into, you're going to work with the underserved. But as far as providing that access, if that's what's important to you. You know, the disenfranchised, people who lack care because of insurance or lack of insurance, et cetera. At a board, they're simply going to think you should either go into public health or become a social worker. As I said before, I, as a PA, I mean, I come into the office, they're going to hand me a list of patients. I don't really have the option of saying, well, I'm here because I want to treat the people that don't have insurance. Of course, there are free clinics where you could work and be able to provide that service to people who have little access to care or little or no insurance. But again, statistically speaking, we've seen how that really doesn't happen with the majority of PAs, especially the ones who say they're going to. All right, the last one I'm going to cover is just the word solidified. And again, I know this will sound ridiculous, but simply this is a word everyone seems to like. I saw this blah, 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 and it solidified my decision to become a PA. Or while I was doing this, it solidified my decision or meeting with a PA, you know, whatever. And it's always this solidified. There's nothing wrong with this word other than the fact everyone will use it. The problem we have with that word is there are other words that mean the same thing. If I said, I saw how the PA manage their own patients, 
and it solidified my decision to become a PA. Again, that sounds great. It's just very overused, this word solidified. I could have said, I saw how the PA managed their patient's care and it reaffirmed my decision to become a PA. It upheld my decision to become a PA. It cemented my decision to become a PA. And I can go on and on. There are many, many words, and I probably caution you about using the words that I just now use because other people are probably maybe going to say, hey, that's what I should switch mine to. There are a lot of words you could use, but invariably almost everybody, you know, more than 90%, more than 95% use this word solidified. And as I said, again, I'll go back. It's correct. It's used in the proper context. It's a correct word to use, but everyone is using it. So it sounds at the least cliche, at the worst, like you've copied someone else's statement. I'm just going to go back to the beginning again. When I talked about um, this, you know, AI GPT or these chatbots that can grind out, you know, letters, statements, whatever, papers. There's going to be a lot of emphasis this year on watching to see what things sound a lot alike. And the assumption is that you were using something like this. So just be very careful because certainly copying somebody else's paper or using artificial intelligence to create yours, essentially cheating. So it's not a good thing and definitely will not help you get an interview. Anyway, um, that's my 2023 slash 24 podcast for personal statements. Actually, I do want to add in one last thing. Let's talk about COVID statement. This also becomes something that's incredibly annoying. So I'm going to try to keep this short, not to drag this podcast out. First of all, the the COVID statement is not even required. It's optional. And because it's optional, that should tell you it doesn't count for anything. Even after I've said that, people are going to go out and write just some of the craziest things. A lot of applicants turn this into a second personal statement. So that's mistake number one. COVID statement has nothing to do about why you want to become a PA or why you think you'll be a good PA or PA student. It's simply about how your journey becoming a PA was affected by COVID. It should be very short, very simple. There's no need to... if. It's 2,500 characters. It's sort of laughable when these people have got to write COVID statements that are 2,499 characters. It counts for nothing. Yet I see and read these, you know, so many people spent so much time talking about uh, how it made them feel and, you know, what they learned from it. And this will help them as a PA student or as a PA. I've seen quotes. I've seen stories. One person recently submitted theirs and started it off talking about the meaning of commencement. I have no idea how the meaning of commencement tied into how COVID affected their pursuit of becoming a PA. Don't tell a story. There's no story to be told when it comes to the COVID statement. So the COVID statement is very, very straightforward. It's how were you or how was your journey or your pathway to becoming a PA affected personally, professionally, academically. You know, academically, assumingly, many of you will talk about or can talk about coursework that went online, maybe difficult meeting with professors, hard to understand some of the labs, scheduling classes. Professionally, maybe you lost your job, got a different job, increased hours, decreased hours. Personally, maybe you didn't attend graduation, you caught COVID, you might have lost somebody from COVID and just simply throwing out some simple things. And these are by no means what I'm telling you to write. I'm just simply giving you some ideas of what this can be about. But 
it should be very factual. So no stories and don't try to create, again, why you think whatever experience that was will make you a better PA student and or a better PA. That's not what this is about. You know, if you feel that's what you want to write, knock yourself out. I can't say that you're not going to get an interview because of, there's no such thing as a bad COVID statement. Well, maybe there is, but let's say there's no such thing as a good COVID statement. It's just factual information. Uh, bad COVID statement, I have read some where it talks about things that people have experienced and they talk a lot about they were sad, upset, anxious, bothered, and you know a lot of these very, very negative adjectives. And when I've read these, often I think just this is probably not a very good candidate or a very good student. This is somebody that doesn't handle change very well. It's not very adaptable and you know it doesn't do well under pressure so that's probably not going to be a good candidate so you shouldn't say you know there there aren't any bad there are definitely some bad COVID statements i don't want to say that we'd actually make a decision not to interview somebody because of a code statement but if it were to that extreme maybe maybe we might not so anyway that was my brief talk about COVID statements just be quick get to your point it's not going to count for anything you don't even have to do a COVID statement Seems like everybody should. I don't know anybody that was not affected by COVID, but don't turn it into a second personal statement and don't feel that this is going to have any impact in terms of you getting accepted or getting an interview or not getting an interview. Honestly, it should take you 15 minutes to write a COVID statement, and that's about as much time as you should put into it. Your personal statement obviously matters a lot. It is huge. It is a big, big factor and why a school will grant someone an interview. Don't spend so much time on your COVID statement. Do one, but don't don't go overboard. Okay, well, that's uh, this week's podcast. You know, I'm going to try, I keep saying I'm going to try to keep this up, especially with the news cycle open. We Hopefully, we're going to be back on track with our podcast, giving you some advice, some tips, you know, what's happening, uh, certainly with the COVID, I'm sorry, the CASPA application, what you should be doing, what's important, what's not. If you're thinking of applying this cycle, you could always contact us, sign up for a free consultation. It's right on our website, which is pamentoronline.com. Sign up for the free consultation if you're interested in our services and want to learn more about it. We'll give you a call or one of the PA mentors will call you, answer some of your questions about the services if you're curious about them. Or if you're ready to get started, then all you have to do is just sign up on our website and we'll get you scheduled right away. We're ramping up just like everybody is as the cycle is going to be opening very shortly and it's going to be an exciting cycle. We had a great time this last cycle. Hopefully in a few weeks we'll we'll try publishing or we'll do a podcast about the numbers, like people who were admitted. Actually, the top student we worked with, she applied to 10 schools and was accepted into nine. And we did an interview with her recently, so hopefully, maybe that'll be the next week's podcast, but we'll get that published up on YouTube soon. If you have questions, certainly email us or uh, you know leave a comment on our Instagram or Facebook page somewhere, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. So thanks again for listening and checking in with us, and I hope this was helpful.